This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca. And welcome to the Monday edition of Game Misconduct. I'm Don LaGreca. Monday means EJ Raddick from the NHL Network. NHL Now. How are you, buddy? I am very good, Don. How are you today? Good. There's so many places to go, as is every Monday. we got so much to recap, but I had a pretty strong opinion on the uh, the goodest play uh, last week. Uh, I guess it happened on Thursday, so my opinions came out on Friday, and it's come down a 10-game suspension. And uh, you th- do you think the NHL got this one right? Yeah, I, I'm pleased that uh, that it was, I think, 10 games by NHL standards for these things is very significant. Um you know, uh, somebody could argue that it could should be more, um, but I got to think. I think we have to live in the world that we live in, with the in terms of the, the discipline we've seen in the past. But uh, I think ten games is substantial, and uh, you know, I'm okay with it. How about you? I mean, because yeah, I, I, I just I don't. I'm not a fan of him to begin with. You know, as far as his history yeah. and yeah, he no, seems to play that rough and tumble hockey. Question. No question, and and we you know we worry about targets to the head, and and I guess you could make a case if you were a diehard Flyer fan, he was tangled up with Perot, and maybe his frustration of trying to pull the, the stick out. I just saw a guy that you know came down uh, slashing at a guy's head, and you yeah. know it just can't be tolerated. The, the, the headshots are something we're trying to get out of the league, and and those kind of things are just inexcusable in any era. And I'm glad they came down with a pretty good suspension. You could have made a case it w- would have been more. But I think 10 is, is a good place to start, and I guess he'll be on notice uh, the rest of the way. I mean, you just can't tolerate these types of plays. When there's hockey plays, EJ, they could be dissected, kind of like what happened last night with Smith's hit on Borvievsky, which was a five-minute major for interference. I'm yeah. not sure where you come down on that one. I thought it was a hockey play. He hit him. They were a good 10 feet from the boards. Borvievsky went down awkwardly and and – and got hurt. I wouldn't suspend Smith. Maybe other people have different opinions, but we can debate a hockey play. To yeah. me, that was less of a hockey play and just more of a of, of a frustration type of play that you just can't have. Yeah, no, I uh, I agree with that. I mean, that's kind of one of those accidental on purpose kind of slashes that happen right. in games. And you know, I remember having a conversation with Brendan Shanahan when he was. Uh, running the Department of Player Safety, and he used to joke that, you know, he goes, I was really good at that. And he goes, there's a lot of guys. He goes, there's no accident uh, with these things. And um, I remember talking to him about a play that involved uh, Jeff Carter and Duncan Keith, where Duncan Keith swung his stick very recklessly and hit Carter. And, you know, the layman might have been able, might have argued, well, it didn't look like it was on purpose. But, you know, uh, talking to Shanahan afterwards, in my own kind of feeling is I've, I've had this conversation with many times with you, Don. It's like, I don't feel there's a lot of accidents that go on. These guys are really good at what they do. They're really good uh, at controlling themselves when they need to. And uh, so for me, uh, this is a guy that's had a history. He's been on the line with other things that could have been suspended other than the actual ones he was suspended for. Um, this was a very, very dangerous play. He's extremely lucky that the, the victim, in this case, Matthew Perot, uh, did not sustain a significant injury because of it and so uh you know with 10 games and hopefully Radko Gudis will learn uh to, to behave and if he doesn't he'll have to face hopefully escalating punishment I mean I think that's the key in this discussion that we've had going back to our time together on NHL Live is just I think that uh, you know you don't uh you don't convince anybody that their behavior is bad unless you give them significant punishment right. for their acts and I think in the past that you know and I know it's tough because you have 
you know, for the league, you have owners and uh, that when their player does something, they defend them and they're in the year of, of uh, the league officials and the commissioner and the deputy commissioner and uh, they're defending their, their guys because nobody wants their guys suspended. But in the end, uh, you know, I think the only way you get this behavior changed over time is to have significant uh, ramifications. And I think certainly 10 games is pretty significant. Mm. Would you discipline Smith for the hit last night? No. Uh, just, and that's a, that's just, you asked, I've seen the play like once. And if I looked at it, I might have a different, like I looked at it several times, might have a different opinion, but based on what I would see, no, I don't think the supplementary discipline is applicable there. No, I just saw, listen, it was an interference call. I think they overreacted to the injury. Borowiecki was down for a long time and we're hoping the best for him, but I thought it was a fair distance from the boards. It's an interference call. And I guess because of the severity of the injury, they gave him a five minute major, but yeah. I don't think there should be any discipline either. Yeah, um, I think, but... And I think the referees in those situations, I don't always uh, have a problem with the referees siding on the idea of keeping the game in check when there's a play that, uh, you know, where there's a, a significant injury like that. And he was significantly dinged up on that play and helped off. But the referees sometimes act, uh, you want to say overreact. They want to protect, I think, the the nature of the game so to speak and you know if you give a two-minute minor there or you give you know some somebody might say well you know they were going for the puck and there was an injury it was a hockey play and there's no penalty i mean that's when things can get out of hand in a game and yeah. I think referees are always aware of that so i think that's what happens whether you know we think that's right or wrong that's the job of those guys in those stripes to kind of keep the game manageable and i don't usually have a problem with when they do that i understand it so um, in this case, the Rangers did an unbelievable job on the penalty kill and gained energy from it, and uh, they went on yeah. to win the game. So, and in the end, it all worked out for them. Yeah, and it certainly cost Ottawa the last couple of nights, right? They had three power plays late in the game against uh, Arizona, couldn't close. They couldn't close yesterday going uh, for 0 for 3 with the five-minute major when they had a chance to maybe climb back into the game down 2 nothing. And I got a chance to see Duchesne for the first time live, and I'm kind of getting mixed reviews I talked to a few people that seem to think that he is clicking there, uh, where others, including myself, and I think you even mentioned that maybe it's been a little bit slow. I, I barely said his name at all calling the game yesterday. I don't want to put it all on one game, but you know, right now it just seems to me that uh, it takes a little time right, for chemistry to develop with a new player, and I think overall that may work out for Ottawa, although right now that trade does seem to be leaning more towards Nashville. Well, I mean, we're way early in the process. I think for Ottawa, it just comes down to something simple, Donnie, is they had a player in Kyle Turris who's a real good player and a really good center. He's a natural centerman, and he's really good at it. Uh, I think Matt Duchesne is more, for me, he's best on the wing. He can play the center, uh, but he is best on the wing. That's my view. Um, I think there are others that share that view. I think there's other, others that uh, you know would disagree. I think the team, the Ottawa Senators as a team, were better having Kyle Turris as their as their one of their centers than Matthew Shane. It would have been nice if they could have added Matthew Shane and kept Kyle Turris. The reality is, Kyle Turris is in the last year of his contract, or he was. The Ottawa Senators have, uh, as a, as an ownership group, there they've got, uh, you know, they pl- they play very much to a budget. They don't have unlimited resources to uh, to keep everyone. They they don't. They're not a team that spends right to the tip of the cap. And uh, they knew they were going to lose this player as a uh, unrestricted free agent at the end of the season. So what they did was they kind of kicked the can down the road the next year. They were able to acquire a player in Matthew Shane who's got one more year on a contract. And, uh, you know, he's got a connection with Guy Boucher from uh, playing for him in, in tournament play uh, in the past. Uh, 
you know, as a, as a junior and a younger player. So um, they saw that as a way to keep their team intact and uh, for at least another year down the road, a guy is under contract and continue to move forward with their group. And they're hoping that, uh, you know, things change for, I think, within their franchise based on mm-hmm. potential arena situations that go on in Ottawa down the road, and they'll be in a situation to, to do something else. I think that the key to the deal for me, Don, is what happens with Duchesne long-term. Is he sign and stay there right. on a long-term deal? Do they trade him? If they trade him, who do they get for him in return? Does he just play out his contract and leave as a free agent? So for me, that's how this deal will be judged over time. But I think I think in a perfect world, they would have just loved to, to sign Kyle Turris and keep him and maybe add a Matt Duchesne-type player, but they weren't able to do that. I think one of the stories that's flown under the radar, um, and I'm not sure how much you've gotten into it on your show, is what's happening in Winnipeg. I mean, this has been a yeah. really nice story. They're in second place. They've won four in a row. Line A's playing well. Of course, Shifley, I think, is really coming into his own. Uh, they're getting quality goaltending. And we've talked about it before. You could have made the case to let Shevel Day off and Maurice go. They decided to give contract extensions, and I guess it's early, but it's beginning to pay off. Things are really looking good in Winnipeg. Yeah, I think that, uh, I mean, let's face it. This is this is a team, this is a franchise that has a lot of really talented young players, and they've had them for a couple of years now. I mean, uh, Mark Shifley, it's no surprise. I mean, he has been a really talented young player there for a while. They've got others, and they've got some veteran guys, too. That You know, you know, Dustin Bufflin is a talented player. Um you know, Blake Wheeler's been around for a while. No surprise there. Patrick Liney came into the league firing last year. So, you know, Brian Little's a pretty solid player. I mean, they've got really – this is a good roster. The, the, in the past, there was a couple things that hurt them. Their goaltending was unsettled. Um, they took way too many penalties. And that's something I always lay at the feet of the coach after a while. You have to clean that up. You can't have that continue to be something that uh, defines your group over years. But uh, you know what? They've done a good job cleaning that up a little bit. Instead of being at the very top of the league in penalties, they're taking, uh, you know, they're taking fewer minor penalties. You know, when I look at the list, they're uh, they're right in the middle, 12th, I think, uh, somewhere in there in terms of uh, minor penalties this year. So that's a plus for them. They're taking fewer penalties. They're they're getting great goaltending from Connor Hellebuck, who's someone they really like. He's just young and he's learning. And this year, he's made a big step forward in the in the first part of the season. Here, he's been as good as any goalie in the league through the first uh, handful of games. So you combine all that really talent, high end talent, a good group of defensemen, good goaltending. They've stayed relatively healthy, and uh, you know this is where they're off to a great start this season. I, I think they're very much like the Columbus Blue Jackets last year, Donnie. The Jackets lost their first two games. And they took off from there. And this year, the Jets lost their first couple of games, and they've taken off from there, uh, eight yeah. one and one in their last ten. So, this is not. Uh, we've talked about it a number of times on our show. This is not a surprise. This is this team should have been better in my view last year, and that's why I, I think that there was a lot of scrutiny of uh, Paul Maurice. And in fact, if I was running it, I probably would have let him go, because that nothing had changed in three years. But. Uh, for Paul, he's very lucky that they had a lot of uh, faith in him, and uh, now uh, the the this team is really probably is playing up to their capabilities, and we'll see if they can continue over the course of the season. But uh, I think talent-wise, they have as much talent 
throughout their roster as anybody in the league. I wanted to ask you about the other end of things. Los Angeles really struggling. Uh, they lost last night to Vegas, a team that just continues to be a tremendous story. I want to tie it into a tweet we got from Ricky Cook. Which L.A. Kings team should we expect the rest of the season? The hot team out of the gate, the losing six out of the last seven team, or somewhere in the middle? Well, it's what do we say, right? You're never probably as good as you are when you're at your best. You're probably never as bad as you are when you're at your worst. So I would say somewhere in the middle. At some point, hopefully January, February, they're going to get Jeff Carter back in their lineup. He's going to make a huge difference for them. Um, but uh, I would say uh, they weren't nearly as good as they as they came out of the gate. And they're probably not as bad as, as they've played lately. But let's face it, give Vegas a lot of credit. I mean, Vegas is 8-1 and one at home this year. They are hard to play in that building. That place is uh, is loud, and you get teams that come in there, and there's a lot of distractions for teams. And I'm not saying guys are going out and staying out all night. There's just a lot to do there. Even if you just go and have a really nice dinner, and maybe you you, you partake in some uh, of the of the games that uh, take place there, you know, the blackjack or craps or whatever. I mean, you can walk around. There's just a lot of distractions, and I think. Uh, you know, that's something that gives them a little bit of an edge. And, and let's give Gerard Gallant, I mean, a world of credit as the coach of this team because these guys come and they play hard night after night after night after night. I mean, they've gone through four-plus goalies and Maxime Legacy, Legacy, whatever, however you want to pronounce it. I mean, it's someone right. that's uh, he's kind of uh, come out of nowhere, and he's not that he's been great, but he's been good enough because the team plays really hard in front of him. And was another example in the game on Sunday night. They jumped out to a three nothing lead, and they just contest pucks all over the ice, and they make it hard for you. So that's a reflection on the coach. I think Gerard has done a great job, and you know, there's all these guys that have kind of come together, and uh, they've got a lot to play for, and they're they've been impressive so far. Uh, NYR Fanatic asks, which teams so far this season are you having a hard time understanding? Well, the Oilers, for one, I mean, they've been, I think yeah. the Oilers are in, are in a really tough spot. I think there's a good chance they're going to miss the playoffs this year after challenging to get to the Final Four last year and the high expectations in Edmonton. So, I mean, that's a, you know, when I watch them play, I, I don't, I understand it a little bit more because I just think they're a little slow and, you know, they're top heavy as a group and they're not great on defense. And, and so, you know, uh, that's one. Dallas Stars are kind of hard to understand this year, but but then again, they've added a lot of new pieces to their puzzle. They're uh, they're young on the blue line. Just got the news that Mark Mathot's going to be out four to six weeks with uh, having his knee scope, so that's another thing that Ken Hitchcock's going to have to deal with there. So you know, they're a little kind of hard to figure. The Flyers, uh, you know, it's been one of those teams got off to a good start. Yeah. They've lost a lot of close games. I mean, they're in the. I mean, that that metropolitan division. There's not a bad team in that division. I mean, everybody. And if you told me any of those eight teams made the playoffs, I mean, how could I tell you that? You, you know, how could I criticize it? I mean, the whole division is within five points right now. So you know, Philly's got incredible uh, issues there, and then you know, Buffalo. Uh, I mean, I know there's some holes within their group. But I did expect them to be a little bit better than five, eleven, and four through their first twenty games, and so that's one that's kind of uh, you know hard to figure as well. I give the, you know one other one. Let's give the Jeff Blasio and the Red Wings some credit. They're off to a, a pretty good start. Those uh, younger, faster forwards are are playing well, and Jimmy Howard's been really good. So they're kind of hanging in the mix in the in the Atlantic. So uh, yeah, it's, it's a year when everybody's close. I mean, I think it's twenty six of the thirty one teams are separated by eight points. So. Uh, there's not a lot of separation between these teams. 
I do think Ottawa should be better, although maybe you put the blame on the goaltending, right? Last year it was so good. Anderson comes into last night's game with a goal against average under 900. Mm-hmm. So, I, I, you know, not watching them every day, and I, I was talking a little bit to um, Dean Brown, their play-by-play guy, it just seems yeah. that they, they're getting a lot of shots on goal. They're playing well as a team, maybe just not getting the goaltending that we saw last year. Maybe that's the difference. Well, I think there's a thinner margin for the Ottawa Senators. Again, going back to what we talked about, they don't have, they don't play right to the edge of the cap. They've got to make some decisions that are based on uh, finances. Uh, they yeah. need things to really be going in the right direction for them all the time. I, I actually think, for me, when I look at their record this year through the 19 games, they played fewer games and they got the 22 points. So when they make up a couple of those games, I mean, they should be a, they could easily be inside of the eight again. But uh, you know, the thing for me is they've got six overtime points this year, and I think those points are, you know, and they could have. We could go through and dissect them and say maybe they lost games they should have won or, or they blew leads late. However, it un- unfolded. They've got six points there that will, should help them down the road because I thought this year was going to be a hard year for them. They come into the season with Carlson dinged up and you know after the surgery, and he's come in and played well, so that's a huge plus for them. Um, the fact they lost Mathot, who was a nice fit uh, alongside Carlson, really didn't get anything in return as a, a part of that expansion circumstance with Vegas. I thought that could be something that would be a problem for them, but uh, you know, they seem to get through that. Uh, they made the trade tourists for Duchesne, like we talked about. You know, basically that was the deal. Um, so, you know, I think they're better with tourists, but it's marginally better. Um, you know, Mark Stone is an underrated guy. So, I mean, I, I just think that, you know, this is a team that's it's a thin line between playing well and not playing well. Last year they were on the right side of that line. Two years ago they weren't. They didn't play the set. They play a different structure now with, with Guy Boucher. So, um I didn't. Th- I thought they were going to be a non-playoff team this year. I thought there was a lot of things working against it, and the fact that they are oh, where really? they are is is impressive to me. Yeah, I just didn't. I, I I thought there was a lot of negatives coming into the season. I think a second year with Guy Boucher. I think he's a guy that wears people down a little bit because he wants to play a a certain way. I thought the Carlson injury at the start of the year was a was a wild card for them. Uh, Broussard had an off-season uh, surgery. He was a wild card in returning, and he's played really well for them. Um, so for me, they've outperformed my expectations to this point. So we'll see how things go. I think the schedule is going to ramp up on them because they've played a few, uh, a few mm-hmm. fewer games, so to speak, than some of the others. So we'll see. Uh, Brent says, "Can enough be said about Braden Shen's season to date?" Wow. Well, he he's definitely was one of the under the radar acquisitions that has really played out and uh you know shen he was a high draft pick of the la kings he went to the flyers in a big deal he played pretty well in philly but he never really met i think the expectations that people had for him and now he goes into st louis and you know i think those expectations are a little bit lower but he's playing alongside two really good players i mean you think of schwartz and Cherisenko. i mean these are elite players in this league and that line has really clicked and uh, and Braden Shen has been great. So you got to give Doug Armstrong a lot of credit. He got him for almost nothing when you think about you know the, the trade they made with the Philadelphia Flyers. Uh, you know it's it's not like uh, you know Yanni Laterra has gone in. Yuri Laterra has gone in there and played very very well. In fact, it was he got a couple of points and he's been out of the lineup a lot. Mm-hmm. So um, you know it's a steal for Doug Armstrong. But Braden Shen is someone that was a high draft pick that people had high expectations for, and I think he's finally in a situation where. It's just taken off for him right now. Uh, Jordan had asked me this question on Friday, and I kind of avoided it for a couple of reasons. Uh, Number one, it's always tough to kind of be critical of a a, 
Well, well, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you because and, okay. and see if you would want extra time. And I also want the delay because I wanted more time to think about it. it. Says, hey, Don, I'm going to refer back to the captain's question I had last Friday. If you remember, who wears the C on a team that you are surprised someone else does not? Hmm, those are good questions. See, I have to start thinking, <laughs> thinking about all the captains. You know, well, I I just uh, thought um, after thinking about it for the weekend, I was always surprised that Colorado gave Landeskog that kind of responsibility at such a young age. Yeah, and I'm wondering if it's kind of worn heavy for him over these last few years. Now, I don't know the room, I don't know who should have it instead of him, but I thought at such a young age, I think they gave it to him as a teenager, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that that was one that really surprised young. me. If, if he wasn't the youngest, he was among the very youngest. Get to see, and I could understand. You know, to me, I think you always have to go back to who are the other guys that are in that circumstance, and you know, do you have someone? Do you want to go to an older player who is perhaps not as significant a contributor to the team statistically? Or do you want to go to someone, you know, do you want to take a chance on a younger player that you know is going to be your guy? Like in Edmonton, they've given Connor McDavid the C. I mean, he's clearly the guy. You know, you wouldn't give it to, let's say, Milan Lucic on an interim basis kind of, because everybody knows it's an interim basis. In Toronto, they haven't given the C to Austin Matthews. They've taken a little different approach, but they haven't given the C to anyone. Right. So they're just kind of holding it open for him, I think, which probably makes sense. I think every circumstance is, is a little bit different. I think that in the end, people uh, in, within each room uh, lead by example. And there's, le- there's leaders that don't wear the C that uh, are big-time leaders in their rooms. So I think it's always – I think it is a case-by-case basis, and you have to look down the roster and, and see, uh, you know, where – you know, what situation works best for that particular franchise. I do give Toronto a lot of credit for not, uh, yeah. you know, they feel strongly about bringing Austin Matthews along at a certain pace. And like I he is going to be the captain of the Toronto Maple Leafs, barring something really unforeseen. So uh, they're just taking their time and making that decision. And a lot of that goes to the fact that you have real strong leadership there with Shanahan, Lamarillo, and Babcock. Um So, you know, in Florida, I think they gave it to, what was it, Derek McKenzie, I think, was the captain. In, in Florida, and they have a lot of young players they could turn to, but they decided that they wanted to go that route. So there's, you know, I think each of the 31 teams, there's a lot of things that go into the decision, but I do think you can't underestimate the fact that there's, you know, there's guys in those rooms that don't wear the C that are leaders, and everyone in those rooms know they're leaders. Yeah, that's what makes it uh, difficult. And you're right, Toronto is one of those cities where you can't afford to get it wrong because you can break a player. That's such responsibility and such a heavy market. Montreal, Toronto, those are places where, you know, you could really just – you have to have the right player. You need to take the time. And I like the fact that the Leafs are, are definitely playing it close to the vest. Uh, let's see if we got a few more here for you. Let's see. All right. Um, uh, Joseph says, hey, Don, Devils are playing 500 hockey now. At this pace, can they still make the playoffs? Should Devil fans be worried? Uh, I think the Devils are in the, as I said earlier, they're in the toughest division in hockey. All eight teams in that division are, are, are teams that could be playoff teams. The Devils have given themselves a great start, a great cushion. The schedule has been a little bit rougher of late. Um, we'll see. I mean, I think that they're thin. I think that they're, you know, the margin for error there is not big because this is a team that's still rebuilding and that there's, there are one or two 
injuries away from having some issues. Now, that said, they got Travis Dajak back in the lineup. That's a big help for them. Um, you know, they had lost Kyle Palmieri for a couple of games earlier. I think that hurts them because, again, there's just not a lot of room for error with their group. But, uh, you know, they seem to be very much focused on game to game. I think Taylor Hall has been much more comfortable in, in New Jersey this year than he was last year. He looks like he's a real leader, you know, within that group. I like the young players they have there. I just think, you know, the approach should be, as I've probably said to you before, when you're a team like that, is just, you know, go to work night after night after night, put your head down and play and see where you're at after 82 games. So um, I think it's going to be very difficult for them to make the playoffs because of the division they're in. But they're sitting there with only 19 games played, and they're at the top spot in the division. So right now they're in a great situation. If they can stay relatively healthy, if Corey Schneider can provide, you know, the kind of goal thing that he can, the Devils have a good chance as any of those eight teams to be in the playoffs. Uh, James White says, what do you and EJ think of the Bruins with Rask? His contract is too big to trade, and Hugh Dobin is not a number one. Well, Rask is the guy for the Boston Bruins. I think the key there is that he is, they have had to do a better job of supporting him. And, uh, you know, this year Hudobin has come in and played very well in, the, you know, in, his, in his games that he's played. And so give Anton Hudobin a – or as I used to say, who dove in a lot of credit because, uh, you know, he's come in and played well and he's played bet He's exceeded my expectations in this spot for the Bruins. But, uh, you know, that's the key. But Rask is their guy. You know, the numbers haven't been great so far for him, but I'm a believer in the bigger body of work. And I think that, uh, you know, he'll figure it out. And, uh, you know, that's where they are. I mean, he's their guy. If it's like the Rangers or Henrik Lundqvist is their guy. I mean, uh, Carey Price is the guy in Montreal. He hasn't had a great start to the season, and he's been injured. So, you know, uh, I think for the Boston Bruins, I was impressed with their play out in the West Coast and particularly their game against San Jose the other night. Uh, I think there's been a shift the last two years. I think that, generally speaking, the play in the Eastern Conference is better than the West. That didn't used to be. And these things are cyclical after all, and I – you know, I like the you know some of the young players that the Bruins have have given opportunity to with all the different injuries they've had. They're showing a little bit of spunk and some speed, and you know, I'll be curious if they can build on a nice couple of games out west when they get back uh, when they get back at home. Uh, Jennifer goes after me a little bit. See if you will support uh, me on this. She says I'm a Hawks fan and know much less hockey than you, but curious. You've gone straight to quick to top goaltending, citing hardware. You skipped Crawford. Despite two cups, curious how you compare them, or if you are due to answering, or if oh, I was due to answering on the spot, meaning that I forget Crawford. I didn't forget. Somebody could ask me the top five goaltenders in the league, and I did not put Crawford in there. And I had mentioned Quick because I think he's having, a, or up until last night, a Vesna yeah. Trophy type season, and he's won two cups. But honestly, I I don't I don't. I think I think Quick's better. I don't think Crawford is a top five goaltender. I think Quick is. Is that is that wrong? Do you disagree with that? Well, I think that uh, I think that Corey Crawford is someone that doesn't get the kind of uh, intention that he deserves. So I'll say that for sure. I think that uh, you know he's someone maybe just just he's played in Chicago and uh, where they have had such a great team for a long time that uh, you know he maybe doesn't get the he doesn't get the attention that uh, he doesn't get the respect, but you know, as we're sitting here early in the season, he's played in 17 games. He's got a 9.33 save percentage. The Chicago Blackhawks uh, do not play great 
defense in front of them this year as maybe they have in previous years, and he's been a big part of the fact that they've been hanging in there as they try to add young players to the mix. You know, when I think his body of work is significant enough that I think he, you would include him in that top five. I think Jonathan Quick is in the same boat. Jonathan, Jonathan Quick is just more explosive. He's been more dynamic uh, as, as a goaltender. He's just more sexy a pick, I think. He comes to mind quicker yeah. than uh, Corey Crawford. But I don't, you know, I, I think that... Uh, you know the question here is is a good one, and I think Corey Crawford deserves a way more attention than he deserve that he gets. And uh, he's been terrific. I know talking to our buddy Eddie O, uh, you know, last year he was like, boy, if it wasn't for Crawford and to a lesser extent Scott Darling, the Chicago Blackhawks would have been in a lot of trouble last year. And I think that's a similar situation this year that he's had to play really, really well for them. So for me, you know, based on the body of work, long, you know, big picture. Corey Crawford is a pretty darn good goalie, and he's probably a top goal, five, top five goalie in this league for me. Well, EJ, I'm going to let you go. I know you've got a lot All going right. on in your life, and we will talk to you next in Monday. And I want you to have in my, a, in my life. Yes, I want I want you to have a very very happy Thanksgiving. Yes. Happy Thanksgiving to you and Nancy, and uh, all the best moving forward. I know there are changes are coming in the Lagreca yes. household, so uh, <laughs> this is a year to be very thankful. Well, thank you so much. And to your family as well, buddy, and I'll talk to you thank next you. week. All right. You got it. All right. That, all right. That's the great EJ Raddick. Joins us every Monday here on Game Misconduct as we break it all down for you. Got a few things before we get out of Dodge here. Six games tonight, Devils and the Wild. The Wild have been hot, and as we talked about, the Devils kind of petering out at 500, but still 11-5-3, and three, still playing some pretty decent hockey, stole the point in Toronto and just did not look good against Winnipeg. Curious to see the Blue Jackets in Buffalo to take on the Sabres. Got to look, to look at Bobrovsky firsthand. I got to tell you, he has just been unbelievable. The shutout against the Rangers, the big uh, stop on the 2 on 0 against Detroit. He's been spectacular. Coyotes winners of two in a row. Who would have thought wins in Montreal and Ottawa? They'll begin to Toronto to make take on the Maple Leafs who remember they were flirting at five hundred at eight and seven and haven't lost since fourteen seven and zero. Uh Flames and Capitals from Washington. Will the Capitals ever get their act together after getting crushed in Colorado last week? Uh Jets red hot at twelve four and three in Nashville to take on the defending Western Conference champions in Nashville. And an interesting game between the Sharks and the Ducks the Ducks have been able to survive their injuries, picked up a hard-fought win against Florida last night, and the Sharks uh, hovering around 500 at 10-8-0. So we tried to get as much as we could today. Um, a lot of things to get into. If we didn't get to any of your tweets, we'll try to get to them a little bit later in the week. Here's how things are going to shake out the rest of the week here on game misconduct, because obviously we will not have a, a misconduct on Thursday, and we will not have one tomorrow. We've got I've got a lot going on. Uh, with my schedule, uh, so unfortunately we'll not have a game misconduct on Tuesday. We'll be back with you on Wednesday, live from Carolina. I'm going to be doing the Ranger Hurricanes game, so we'll break down everything coming up on Wednesday. So if you have any questions, any thoughts, we'll be back again on Wednesday. So no game misconduct tomorrow. We'll have none on Thursday, and then, of course, we'll be back on Friday when we'll really break down the top five and all that. So kind of a catcher's catch can this week because of the holiday weekend. We've got some things going on tomorrow, so no no game misconduct tomorrow or Thursday, so we'll be back with you again on Wednesday. If you want to get in touch with me, at Don LaGreca, hashtag game misconduct. 
And, of course, I'll try to get back to you even on the days in which we do not tape the podcast. And we'll try to get some guests. Remember, American Thanksgiving is always a very interesting line of demarcation. And we'll see who's in, who's out. Lots to break down coming up later in the week. So we'll be back with you again on Wednesday. This was the Monday edition of Game Misconduct. Thanks for listening to the Game Misconduct Podcast. Looking for more Don LaGreca? Hear him on the Michael K. Show weekdays from 3 to 7 p.m. on 98.7 ESPN in New York and worldwide on the ESPN app. And don't forget to subscribe to the Game Misconduct Podcast on the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.